Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston, Executive Recruiter, Director of Recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. And today, I have brought you a super interesting guest from across the pond, so let me get right to introducing him. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Byron Morrison, author of the best-selling book, Become a Better You, and we'll talk a little bit about that, as well as a speaker, mindset, and high-performance consultant. As a CEO coach, Byron helps CEOs upgrade their brains and evolve their internal operating systems. His work helps leaders handle pressure and stress in order to make better decisions. He discusses the shadow side of success, that sounds a little scary to me for CEOs and business owners and how it impacts their lives. His approach is truly transformational and more relevant right now than ever. So Byron, I know it's super late over there right now, but thank you so much for joining us and sharing some of your wisdom with us. Oh, thanks for having me on. Like, I'm so excited to be here. I know we've been trying to plan this for a while. So yeah, even though it's late, feeling good. <laughs> so it's what, about 10 o'clock there? Yeah, it's 10 past 10. So we're kind of like joking beforehand, you're all dressed up and ready for your day. I'm kind of like half dressed up, half in pajamas. (laughs) I won't ask you to stand up and prove that. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I like to start off telling everybody how I got connected to someone, especially someone like you, because I mean, you're a best-selling author and, you know, and it was really funny when I reached out to you on LinkedIn, you're like, how did you find me? And I was like, how do I find anybody? So do you remember how we got connected? I do actually. I had a gentleman called George Henley on my podcast. Yes. He was connecting. What I do at the end of all my podcasts is ask guests, is anyone who you think would be a great fit for this, who's like a thought leader or has an inspiring message and story. And he recommended that we connect. And then it's kind of, yeah, we've had the pleasure of having a few kind of conversations and video interviews and everything since then. Yeah, yeah. So that that was great. And I certainly, George is definitely a giver and a connector and wants to make sure that the right people are meeting at the right time. So definitely a networking ninja right there. So, <laughs> yeah, so, really nice guys. <laughs> yeah, we know a lot of those, don't we? In common now. Quite yeah, a few. It's a good network to have. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting that you say that because the other day I um, had introduced someone in Massachusetts to somebody in Florida that I had met and they both popped back at me and they're like, oh, we've already met. And I'm like, what are the odds? (laughs) You know, I'm like, come on. So, but we're here to talk about you today. So tell us a little bit about what got you started doing the work you do and what problem did you identify that you wanted to solve? So to answer that, I really kind of have to take you back to when I was younger, kind of like growing up, I was always someone who wanted to create an impact. I always wanted to help other people and run my own business, but I knew what that could look like. So like a lot of other people, I pretty much just went to university, got a degree and then got a job. 
And then I kind of eventually found myself in a good career. I was earning good money. I was on track to a life that other people would deem a success. But to be honest, I was very, very unhappy. I was unfulfilled in my work. I was overweight. I was struggling with confidence. I really didn't feel very good about myself. And then my dad got cancer. And during his treatment, he had most of his bowel surgically removed. And he spent 25 days in ICU. Uh, most on life support and breathing me, And that was very much the wake-up call for me that I had to change my own ways. So I set out on this journey to turn my own life around. And along that path, I learned everything I could about mindset, psychology, nutrition, changing behaviors. And the more I dived into it, the more I saw how much his success contributed to him getting sick. Because at the time he was working 14 hour days, he was massively stressed, he was barely sleeping, he had huge pressure on him to perform and deliver, and inevitably it eventually took its toll. So once I turned my own life around, I wanted to pass on everything that I learned, so that went on to be the foundation of my book, Become a Better You. And that's what really kicked off the work that I'm doing today, of helping other people who are like he was, who were allowing their success to really push them to the limit and really help them take back control. That is amazing. And I think it's so important when you, especially when you make a big pivot like that, like you did from your prior career to this, but it's so important that you're doing it because of a passion, right? I mean, and if you're following your passion, I tell people all the time, you'll never work a day in your life. So I think that's awesome. So let's kind of get to some of the issues that you deal with with your CEOs, your clients. Um, and we know that a lot of them have to deal with the stress and the high pressures. So can you tell us a little bit about how that could possibly affect their productivity? 100%. One of the kind of biggest problems I see with people at that level is they have so much on their plate that they're constantly bouncing around from one thing to the next. They're essentially spending their days putting out fires, solving other people's problems, trying to make huge decisions. And essentially, the problem that they're having is while they built their business and perseverance, they themselves haven't grown. And the level of thinking, action, and behavior that got you to the point that you're at today isn't going to help you thrive at that next level. And this is why they're completely scattered and all over the place and essentially in a mental chaos. And as kind of an example, I've got a client at the moment who, when he came to me and we were breaking it down, he was working 50 to 60 hours a week. But when we really looked at it, out of that time, he was probably having about 10 to 15 hours of solid productive work time. The rest was busy work. It was focusing on tasks that didn't matter. It was getting pulled into things they really shouldn't have been giving his attention or just procrastinating and overthinking. Yet so often they don't realize how big of an impact that's on their performance, which is where someone like myself comes in. It kind of gets them out of that tunnel vision because when you're in it, it's very difficult to kind of see through it, to really understand what's going on. And that's why I'm such a big believer that regardless of who you are, it's so useful to have external counsel to really help you see things that you and people in your direct vicinity may overlook. I, I think that is so true. And I think I've really seen that more um, over the last 
six, seven weeks than I probably did before. Um, you know, I think I've shared with you, I started coaching school and I'm, you know, we, we kind of practice on each other <laughs> to coach, but it has been so helpful. I, I'm just like, yeah. whoa, I didn't see it from that. So I, you know, I'm a firm believer in everybody needs a coach, but I think you need a coach for each area of your life, not just one area. So would, would you say that those working all those hours and being stressed and all that would, let me rephrase that. So how does a distressed CEO, one that is not producing at the level that they can possibly produce at, how do they affect the overall workplace culture? It can be extremely difficult. Like at the end of the day, your business culture and your workplace is going to be a direct reflection of you as the leader. And if you're someone who's always on edge, if you're firing from the hip, if you're short with your employees, if you're losing your temper, that's going to make a very hostile work environment because your staff aren't going to want to come to you with problems. People aren't going to want to load more into your plate. And chances are they might look for somewhere else. They might themselves start getting stressed and overwhelmed or might just be issues where you start missing really big opportunities and chances to grow because it becomes a battle basically internally to keep everything together. Whereas rather than focusing on external kind of growth and everything else, the sole kind of problem is on survival. It's like I said before, putting out those fires and solving problems every day, which just simply isn't sustainable for you as a CEO or your team members. Well, and you know, I'm a big believer in the culture comes from the top down, just as you just said. And I think that it's kind of like when you have a family, you know, if mommy and daddy are mad, then the kids start hitting each other and because they see mommy and daddy doing it. And I feel like it's the same way when you're at work because you, you see that at the top level and then you start acting this way towards your coworkers the same way that's been modeled for you. Yeah, 100%. It's such a direct reflection because people pick up on it, especially if there's kind of infighting people when something's wrong. Mm-hmm. So I think it's so important to have that self-awareness and really give it the attention it needs. I agree. I, I love that. So you were just talking about the uh, client that you're working with that was working 50, 60 hours. And, you know, I think work-life balance is one of the most valued benefits for most people, right? Um, what does a true work-life balance mean? And how can someone go about setting a balance in their own life? I would actually argue that work-life balance is a myth. Like mm. so many people use that term constantly. It's this kind of thing that people are chasing. But my biggest problem with the term life balance is when you think of two things balancing, they're equal. So people, especially CEOs and business owners who have a shortage of time, they then put this pressure on themselves. Like if you work five hours, you then have to give five hours for your family. And it just becomes this unsustainable and unachievable goal. Whereas the reality is one hour of really high quality time is far more beneficial than five hours of you there mentally checked out, not being present in the moment, kind of thinking about work. So it's all about seeing instead, can you get your work and your success in harmony? And the best advice I can give to anyone listening to this is it's all about setting boundaries. The way you do it is start every single week and 
put together a, a kind of a priority list. What are the things in your life that have to be non-negotiable? What is like the idea of the life you want to create? And from there, schedule your week around it. Date night with your partner, time with your kids, exercise, everything else that gets blocked into your diary the same way as you'd book a meeting with your most important client. Like you're not going to cancel it. So you have that regardless of what's going on during that period, that time is dedicated to it. Because so often when you're really busy, and I'm sure we've all said this where it's like, oh, I need to go to the gym today. I'm going to try and get to it later. And then later comes around and you're too busy. And then it later turns in, I'll do it tomorrow. And then the next day and the next, it keeps getting put off. And that's why instead we have to reverse engineer it, start at the beginning of the week and it gets to in as non-negotiable periods. And that's such an easier way of approaching it and finding that harmonization. I really like what you just said there. Um, and as a matter of fact, I'm just going to go ahead and let you hold me accountable because I did exactly that today when it came to going to the gym or at least working out. And I was just like, I'll do that in just a little bit. And then a little bit got to be, oh gosh, I got to get ready for the podcast. And I was like, I'll do it when I get home. I can already tell you, I'm not doing it when I get home. <laughs> it's going to be too late. So I think I really need to do that and set those boundaries, just like you said, to make sure that I'm getting things done and, you know, having that not work-life balance, but what it just that, I guess it is still a balance. It's just not as equal. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just viewing it differently. It's rather than pressuring yourself of, oh, I did four hours of this. So to balance it, I have to do four hours of that. And then if you can't do four hours of that, you feel guilty. Yes. So it's about kind of reframing it in our brains and just kind of shifting it. That's why I prefer kind of harmonization. It's kind of getting in harmony and closer and it's a much friendlier, less kind of pressure-filled kind of perspective on it, like I believe anyway. Harmonization. Maybe that'll be the name of this this uh, podcast, this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your book, your best-selling book. That must have been a real treat when that went so quickly. Yeah. That's still, to be honest, my like greatest achievement. Like that was kind of... When I started this journey, I kind of, and I lost the weight and I turned my own life around. All I wanted to do was kind of pass on what I learned. I had no experience as a writer. I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea for the business. I didn't even plan on a business. None of this was kind of intended. It was just like, do you know what? I really want to write a book. I don't know what came over me. I was just like, I had this idea in my head that I want to do this. So it took me about a year and a half's worth of research because I wanted it all to be backed by science. I wanted to ensure that it was all factual. And that took about a year and a half to write, edit, and get out there. So it was a mammoth project, which in hindsight, it should have been like three books because it's far too long. But that was being a first-time author with no kind of direction. I was just like, I just want to include everything. And then we <laughs> cut like 200 pages out of the final edit. But really, basically my, my idea was like, let's pass on everything so that someone who can essentially change the way they eat think move and live it's basically teaching them everything they need to know about creating a healthier happier life for them and their family so that they never have to read another help book again it's basically rather than telling people what to do it's basically like this is what i learned this is all the science behind it this is how you can apply it to yourself so it's teaching people how to make better informed choices based around the life that they want because I don't believe there's a one-size-fits-all approach to anything. 
And, and I love that. And I just want to just point out, you know, your book focuses on nutrition, healthy living, and general well-being, right? And I know that a lot of times this isn't always a top focus for CEOs. And I want to look at one in particular, um, you know, why is it important to focus on the well-being portion first? The simple reason is when you're in charge of a business, and this is the same whether you're a CEO, whether you're a senior management, or even pretty much anyone in their job, you are never going to be able to perform effectively if you're low on energy, if you're tired, mm -hmm. if you can't focus. Just not getting enough sleep, not putting the right foods into your body, not drinking enough water, all of that's going to stop you from showing up at your best, which is hugely detrimental because when you stack it every single day and you're exhausted, you're never going to make the right decisions. You're going to land up in this mental where you overthink, you struggle leading your team, and it's going to directly impact your business's success. So while a lot of CEOs, especially in the initial few years, who feel like they need to push forward with strength and perseverance and they sacrifice everything else for their success, feel like that's what they need to do. I found the exact opposite. The ones who really take the time to step back and to prioritize these other areas of their life, they're the ones who can stick to it long-term. I'll give you a perfect example. I had one client who came to me, amazing performer, did incredible work, uh, this was kind of when I was still working with a lot of kind of corporate guys. He got promotion after promotion after promotion, rose to the top of his team. And he pushed so hard that he got burnt out to the point that he was then booked off work for nine weeks. Went from top of his team to out. Could barely get out of bed, was exhausted. He wasn't looking at himself. And we all think that we're invincible until we're not. And it's the same as like with my dad. Like, he would never have imagined that anything happened to him. And I'm eternally grateful they pulled through it. It's something that I'm thankful for every single day. But he always believed they were Superman. And it was only when things went wrong that then you have to deal with the consequences. So I always believe that we should be focusing on prevention before it gets worse. I love that. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about what you call the shadow side of success, which sounds super scary to me. So I'm sure you're going to debunk it for us. But why do you think we tend to only focus on the bright side of success? And why don't we talk about, why aren't we more open about the difficulties and stress of leadership positions? Yeah, the reason why I love the term shadow side of success is when you think of a CEO or celebrity or an athlete or someone in kind of a high position, we always look at the positives. You look at the money, the power, the freedom, everything that they've achieved. But as with anything else in life, whenever you shine a light on something, it has a shadow as well. Mm. And what most people don't realize or overlook is if you're going to be performing at that level, you have a huge amount of pressure on you to perform and deliver. You're under incredible amount of stress. You're constantly juggling all of these different roles. And if you make a mistake, it can completely end the thing that you're doing. And I find that for a lot of the CEOs I work with, that's a pretty much a burden that they're carrying with them every single day. But because they're at the top of their game, they don't want to show weakness. They don't want other people to think that they haven't got it together, especially when their family and their friends and everyone around them keeps reaffirming how amazing and great they are. 
So I find with so many clients, it lands up in the cycle where they almost put on an act. They put on this facade, pretending that they've got it all figured out, even though their internal state often doesn't match their external success. And this is why, again, I believe it's so important to have external counsel because with my clients, one of the kind of favorite things that many of them will say is they like having a safe and judgment-free zone as someone who's detached from their business, who has their best interest in mind, who isn't going to judge them to almost be a sounding board and kind of vent and talk about these frustrations in a way that's not going to expose them. I think I need to hire you. I've just decided. <laughs> Because everything you just said, I'm just kind of like, you know, uh, you know, it, on the exterior, it seems like everything's, you know, great. And on the inside, I'm like, I am so tired, you know, so we may need to talk some more, Byron. <laughs> um, do you think transparency about the shadow side of success can improve workplace or weaken a CEO's ability to lead effectively? You're going to love my answer to this because I get to name drop want both one of our kind of favorite people in the world uh, because I was having a conversation with uh, Jerry Acuff the other day mm -hmm. and for anyone listening to this he's rated the third best salesman in the world or as he was telling me if you're rated third that means you're third right. which, he, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious but we were actually having this exact conversation because I was explaining to him more about what I did and the kind of challenges CEOs have and his belief and impression of it is transparency is absolutely key because if you're running a business and you're not being authentic it's so difficult to build trust because you're not going to get people on board you're not going to kind of show when you need help with things a great example that he gave to me is let's say you're pretending that you know everything you're the ceo the boss and then a financial issue comes up it might be a case that you have to be transparent saying this isn't my area of expertise this is that person. I need to get their advice. I need to get their opinion. Because at the end of the day, you've hired your team for a reason. You've built this unit to surround you. You have to trust in them. But trust goes both ways. And that's why I believe as a leader, you need to earn that trust first. Because if you can show that you're approachable and you're human and relatable, they're going to be far more likely to buy into you and then the culture and the business. So I think it's so essential, whereas a lot of people think it's a weakness. I personally believe it's a strength. I love that. And I'm sure um, I love that you brought Jerry into the conversation because you're right. He is one of my favorite people in the world. And I think the way he said it was he said, I'm one of the top three salesmen in the world. And he goes, and you know, if somebody's telling you you're one of the top three salesmen, that means you're number three. <laughs> uh, he said the exact same thing on my podcast. It made me laugh so much. Yeah, he was. I was listening to both of those because he did two with you, right? Yeah, we couldn't get into one episode. Like, I feel like we could have done 10 and it still would have been too little. Yeah, he's a wealth of information. So um, I have a personal question for you. So what strategies help you as a business owner manage stress? So in my position, a lot of what I'm doing every single day is dealing with people's problems. It's basically people unloading on me. Mm -hmm. And I have seen a lot of people in my kind of doing similar roles who that kind of burns them out and I've been through periods especially when I started and I wasn't quite sure how to deal with that that it did affect me 
And that's why I've very much over the last few years had to put my own kind of regime together to really keep myself in check. And it's very much following and practicing what I preach with my clients uh, to kind of share one that I think is one of the most powerful things you can do and that anyone here listening to, I would highly advise you incorporate this into your own routine is a big problem with stress is it's something that is accumulated throughout the day. Something happens and they get stacked on top of the next thing and then the next thing. And all of these things build up to eventually something that in isolation may not have mattered pushes you over the edge. And this is why what we need to be doing throughout the day is looking at how can we stop that from accumulating and a really simple and effective exercise at the every single time and also at the end of every switching call is take 60 seconds to three or five minutes, depending on what you need and stop, take deep breaths into the count of four, out to the count of four, just over and over. Now, the reason why we're doing that is this is a technique that they use in the British National Health Service with doctors and nurses, because when you're stressed out, you go into a heightened state, your blood pressure goes up and you can't think So that's to calm them down before they take action and make a decision. So we do this to calm down, ease tension. And then from there, before going into the next, ask yourself, what is my next what is the intention of what I'm doing? What is the result that I want? And who do I need to show up as? Allow you to mentally prepare yourself for what you're about to do. And you can then process it. You can think out the challenges that are going to come up. And you can have a mental game plan of what needs to be done. By going through that, you're going to alleviate so much stress because instead of just bouncing around from one thing to the next, you'll be only going through your day. And you'll see such a big difference in your state of mind and your energy, how you feel. So that's something that's completely transformed my life. And it's something I use with every single client because it's so simple, but it's extremely powerful. I'm going to start using that too. Thank you very much. I'm getting all this free coaching today. That's awesome. Um, so one more question before we get to our VIP questions. You know, one of the biggest challenges of CEOs is wearing too many hats and being stretched too thin. We've talked quite a bit about that. And I read in an article that you wrote that you mentioned the Pareto principle. I think I'm saying that correctly. The idea that 80% of your results come from 20% of your work. Can you tell us a little bit more about this and how CEOs can use this principle to reduce their strain? Yeah. I find with a lot of CEOs and clients, they're essentially trying to do everything. They're working so many different hats. They've got their strings and everything. And a lot of the time they'll come to me saying, I just can't catch up. I have so much on my to-do list. It just feels like I'm running backwards on the treadmill. And the problem is they've got too much on. Whereas you as a CEO are the CEO for a reason. You have got a specialized talent or expertise, which is where you need to be giving your attention. So it's really sitting down and auditing everything that you're doing over a week or month's basis and thinking what has to be done by you, what's going to have the greatest impact by your time, whether that's, for instance, dealing with customers, whether that's generating business, marketing, whatever it is, your area of expertise. And then from there, anything that could be done by someone else that is busy work, that isn't a, a great use of your time, should be delegated or outsourced. Because there's only so many minutes in the day, and if you try and do everything, you're not going to do anything well. And 
I think it's so important. Um, one thing I talk about quite a bit is rather than every kind of Sunday making a to-do list, sit and make a not to-do list. <laughs> like sit down and look at your kind of last week and think yeah. of what was a waste of time. Where did you lose time in your day? What did you procrastinate? What just shouldn't have been done? Do and really audit that. it and sit down and just commit to not doing it anymore. Because if you're a CEO and you're wasting two hours looking at changing the color of the logo on your website, like that's not an effective use of your time. Yet we all fall into that trap. We are caught in busy work that really, yes, it needs to be done, but does it really need to be done by you? So it's about having that self-awareness and regularly assessing and auditing it. That is so great. I've never heard anybody say that before. So I am going to try that on Sunday. Thank you for that. Um, okay. We're going to have a busy week with all of this. <laughs> I know. So many new principles to apply. We're going to have to have a follow-up call for sure so that I make sure this gets cemented in. Um, so how do people find you? The easiest way is LinkedIn. Search for Byron Morrison. I put out daily videos, resources, a lot of kind of thought leadership posts. So connect with me on there. Or alternatively, byronmorrison.co.uk. It's got more information about me and my coaching and everything else. And a place and to buy your Facebook, book. Which, yeah, my book's on Amazon as well. And then you said Facebook as well? Yeah, Byron Morrison. All, all around, just Google Byron Morrison. And yeah, I, I seem to come up a lot, which is a good thing. That's <laughs> a very good thing. Somebody's doing their uh, social media right. So, okay. So now we are to the point where we ask our VIP questions. And I love to see what people come up with these questions. So are you ready? Sure. Okay. If you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three people or things would you take with you? I was actually having a very similar conversation with my girlfriend a few days ago. We were talking about the fact that if we got stranded on a desert island. We we're kind of debating which one of us would survive. <laughs> she reckons she reckons she'd be more likely to survive because I'm useless at DIY or anything around the house or basic kind of survival skills. But I feel like I've watched more episodes of Survivor. So I feel like <laughs> that'll put me ahead. So I'd have to take her with just to see which one of us outlasts the other. Okay, that's unique. So, <laughs> Not because I, I love her. Like Not because I love her. <laughs> it's a competition, battle the survival of the fittest. Um, I feel like Elon Musk is a big hero of mine and he's been preparing for this for the last decade. So I feel like, or if not longer, probably, if anyone was going to know how to survive it, probably him. And I don't know if you have Bear Grylls over in the US. Have He's what? Like a guy called Bear Grylls. He's like all over the UK TV, oh, basically yeah, yeah, the survival yeah. shows. Yes. Yeah, I feel like he would find a way to, if you run out of food, somehow turn that rock into like something that you can get nutrients out of. I feel like he would probably be useful. So that will probably be my top three picks. I have to I say like between them with their skills, I'll live. <laughs> <laughs> that those were pretty unique. I like those. Um, so, and I know you're probably gonna have a good answer for this one. What is one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? Uh, drink coffee. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I've got a quite a like good morning routine that I follow quite strictly every single day. It's kind of going planning my day uh work out what needs to be done i've gone kind of looking ahead at the day and really thinking at what challenges i'm going to face what i need to incorporate and what needs to get done 
And a big part of that is I do something called a morning formula. And a part of that, it's essentially looking down at, and this is something I do with all of my clients, where I really want to be in a few years. It's about thinking, who do I want to become? What do I want to accomplish? Why have I started this mission? What is really driving me? And every single morning going through and getting myself into the headspace of this is why I'm doing this. Because every single one of us has days where we kind of, you haven't slept as well. You're like, oh, I don't really feel like doing this. And then when I sit down and I go through that, it kind of relights that fire. It's like, do you know what? This is why I need to do this today. This is why I'm putting in the work. This is the legacy and impact I'm trying to create. And it just really gets you into a state of mind where you can then attack the day. So the big advice I'd give to anyone is never check your phone first thing in the morning. Yes. Because those messages, those emails, whatever it is, it's never going to be a good thing. It's going to stress you out straight away and get you to be reactive. And instead, put aside 30 minutes to for yourself to ease into the day, to think about what needs to be done, what you need to accomplish, and you'll see such a big turnaround. That is so good. And I know that, um, you know, I've read so many books about that and, you know, successful people that are writing books. And you can look at probably every successful person on the planet and you're going to find they've got a morning routine. Yeah. The one piece of advice I kind of give as well is I see this quite a lot in clients is recognizing that there is no one size fits all answer. Because mm -hmm. I speak to a lot of clients who will read something like a Tim Ferriss book or one of these big gurus. And as an example, I had one client come to me who kept trying to get into a morning routine. He was pressuring himself. He's like, I have to get up at five. All of these gurus say you have to start your day at 5 a.m. You need to exercise and do all these things. And he just wasn't a morning person. He couldn't get right. And he kept feeling like he was a failure because of it. And it was almost like when I said to him, yes, that might work for them, but it doesn't have to work for you. Like if you want to sleep into 11 and start your day at 12 and work to like nine at night, if you still get effective work done, you show up at your best and that's amazing. And it was almost kind of took the weight of the world off his shoulders because it was kind of giving him permission to do what worked for him. So advice I always give to anyone, whenever you're looking at self-help or advice, whatever, remember, it is very much a cookie cutter, one size fits all approach. And that's why it's all about testing it because what works for you might not work for me. And that's okay. It's about really thinking what life do you want to create? And then from there, incorporating the right tools and strategies to actually implement that. And most importantly, that you can stick to because if you can't stick to it, then it's not going to work. Right. Like the best strategy in the world is useless if it's not sustainable for you. Maybe we should call it a start your day routine instead of a morning routine. How about that? Yeah, That's so much better because people think like the 5 a.m. club just drives me insane. <laughs> like you see it on LinkedIn all the time. They're like, oh, the early bird gets the worm. If you're not starting your day at 5 a.m., you're behind everyone else. It's like, no. <laughs> well, what, what time yeah, do you I'm get up? I'm curious now. I get up between half seven and eight most days. Okay. So I'll aim to start my work day by about half eight. But I love how you say that. <laughs> on, most of my clients are in the States. So mm -hmm. kind of, for me, I'll kind of work later in the afternoon. So mornings will be kind of ease into do stuff for myself, create video content and everything else. So that's kind of how I enjoy it. And again, it's kind of thinking of the life you want to create and then work out what you want to do to get it. That is such great advice. So 
One final question for you. If your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? I feel like given my past and where I kind of seven go, because if you had told me like seven, eight years ago, this is what I'd be doing, I would have laughed at you because I never would have comprehended that this would be the field or industry I was in. So I feel like the most fitting title would be something like Unlikely Hero Saves the Day. I like that. It's like, yeah, that's kind of, yeah, I feel like that's a good fit because it's kind of, yeah, a few years ago, I never could have imagined that this is what I'll be doing. I, I was so disassociated with it. And that's why I'm such a firm believer that change is possible. And by pushing yourself to try new things and explore new paths, anything can happen. So, well, yeah, I love that's a good one. I love the work you're doing. I'm so grateful that I was connected to you um, by George Henley and that we've had this opportunity to get to know one another because you will definitely stay in my circle, whether you like it or not. <laughs> so no, I do love our conversation, so yeah. I appreciate it. Well, I just have one last thing to say to you, Byron. You are a VIP. And that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.